My name is Jeff Lerner, and I interview elite performers from a wide range of disciplines, entrepreneurs, athletes, celebrities, scientists, artists, and more. This is Unlock Your Potential. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Unlock Your Potential. Jeff Lerner, your host, always so excited to be back with you, getting to have incredible conversations with incredible human beings. Still pinch myself every day that this is actually a job I get to do. Uh, today, I'm joined by the one, the only, the, the inimitable, inimitable, that is the word, the inimitable John Asaraf. Welcome, John. So glad you're here. For anybody who doesn't know John, um, I, I hope it's nice under that rock, and I encourage you to get out more. But uh, John was a street kid, grew up scrappy tough, became a multimillionaire. Um, he's a guy that, since I began my quest around personal life optimization, how to I guess you can't get smarter, but at least you can try to, to act smarter and, and, and optimizing the brain. John has been one of my go-to, somebody that I've been a fan of and a student of for a long time. And I'm so excited to get to, to talk to personally. He's written two best-selling books. He's, John, honestly, we'd be here an hour if I went through your whole resume. He's been on, you know, Ellen DeGeneres, Anderson Cooper, Larry King, uh, featured in just about every periodical that you can imagine spoken uh been in movies with the dalai lama and richard branson and john you, you must get up really early in the morning to have done all this anyway i'm so glad you're here welcome to the show jeff great to be with you and uh i, I get to live my passion like you do as well yeah it's uh it's the only way to do it man i uh, i shudder i shudder to think of a life where i had to do things that didn't excite me <laughs> at least at least some of the time um, and I should also say CEO of Neurogem, which is actually kind of what I've gotten to know you from. Uh, Neurogem is all about brain, you know, brain optimization. I, I won't explain it nearly as well as I'm sure you will. But, but yeah, man, I'm hoping that in this hour, uh, I guess about 45, 50 minutes that we have, you know, first of all, I'd like to cover some of your backstory. I want to hear how that street kid became a multimillionaire. I know that a lot of my audience is very entrepreneurial and very much looking to break out of the mold and see what's possible for their life. And then I'd love it if we could get into some, some tactical training on how we can all perform better and, and just get the most out of whatever God gave us. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I hope we go and wherever else it takes us. But why don't you, if you, if you don't mind, start with that street kid, you know, you've got an amazing story yourself and can you tell us a little bit of it? Sure. The, um, the street kid part came um, as a result of not doing well in school and hanging with a bunch of misfits. Um, my parents had moved from Israel to Montreal. I went to grade one and fell two years behind because of the language. I didn't understand English or French, which is the dominant languages there. And um, so I quickly fell behind in school, didn't think um, I was smart enough because I wasn't doing well on even the, the you know, the small tests uh, that were done. And uh, you, you spoke uh, Hebrew? I spoke Hebrew when I was born, yeah. And then I had to learn English and French. And um, by grade seven, uh, I'd failed English, failed math, and um, was in the remedial class most of the time and didn't like school. So I thought that I wasn't smart. I wasn't engaged in school. I was um, hyperactive and the teachers wanted my parents to put me on Ritalin for hyperactivity. And the truth was I wasn't hyperactive. I was just bored. So I was doing everything but uh, what I needed to be doing. And I just didn't understand a lot of the stuff. And so I ended up doing a lot of shoplifting um, from the age of um, 12, 13, 14, all the way to 17. I was doing breaking and entries, shoplifting, 
um, selling drugs, importing drugs from Florida as part of a little gang that uh, made some money on the streets. And, you know, in retrospect, when I asked, like, why did I do that? A, I wanted to fit in. Um, B, it gave me some sense of control that I was doing something worthwhile, even though it's a little bit, you know, crazy to think that. And I put some money in my pocket and coming from a home where there was never enough money, there was always a lot of fighting about the lack of money. Uh, there was always, you know, secondhand clothes. There was always um, leftover stuff. Uh, and I wanted, I, I wanted more. And that was the only way I knew how to do it. And so that was the, you know, 12 to 17, uh, almost 18 years old. That's what I did. And uh, I left grade uh, high school in grade 11. I went to work in the shipping department, making $1.65 an hour, uh, taking the subway and the bus to work, taking the bus and the subway back home. And that was what I thought my life was going to be. And my dad at the time was a cab driver. My mother worked at a um, local department store as a seamstress. And we were in the probably below average income, you know, uh, in the city of Montreal, which um, put us obviously in a socioeconomic uh, uh, arena. And um, I had a roof over my head, I had food on the table, and I had lots of love uh, from my mother, and I had a lot of beatings from my father. And so that was, that was me growing up. So I think that's called a uh, normal family, um, right? Everybody was, uh, functional is not normal. So that was the beginning uh, you know, of my you know, getting out into the real world. And it was, um, it was a mess. I was uh, doing the wrong things with the wrong people, getting into a lot of trouble. And my life was heading on the path of either jail or the morgue. And the reason I know that is one of the guys that I was hanging with went to jail, another one died and uh, of a drug overdose. And so I knew that those were all possibilities for me. And yet I didn't know what to do. I was um, lost. It would be an understatement at the time. You know, it's so interesting. I, I want to hear where the story goes from there. But I just I, I couldn't help but think as you're telling that story about so many people I know. I mean, and I'll just use as a brief example. I spent this past week um, hanging out with some some uh, you know close close associates of mine, and uh, one of them I, I I just I learned I didn't even know, but one of them I learned actually had a past coming out of dealing drugs, um, and they're a they're a, a a brilliant business person and an entrepreneur now, but you know they got a they got their start dealing drugs. And then I think about myself, I, I laughed when you said you, you, you know, only, only made it through part of the 11th grade. I dropped out of high school during the 11th grade. I didn't finish high school. Yep. Um, I was so lucky that at least I found music. So I, I became a pianist. At least I had a somewhat socially acceptable thing that I could invest my energy into. It was a little better than dealing drugs. Didn't pay as well. But, you right. know, my point is there's a lot of people that have so much talent, but the educational system either, you know, they don't, they're not a fit or they don't know what to do with them. Or maybe it's just one bad teacher that gets off on a bad track and they never recover. Like there's just so many people that the educational system doesn't know what to do with. And they end up, it's, it's no surprise they end up dealing drugs or in my case, at least playing piano gigs for food because um, the world doesn't seem to have an answer. And I've read studies that as many as 50% of students are outside the construct of what school is equipped to deal with. 
And, and those are the people that go on to either do the greatest things or become the biggest disasters. Yeah, it's really interesting if we, uh, you know, if we go back in time to understand the uh, educational system and why it was created, you know, it was created to either create professionals, you know, or to veer students out into apprenticeships. And it wasn't geared towards, you know, teaching us how to memorize and to fall into learning things we didn't want to learn. Maybe for a portion of our history that made sense. Um, but I know that when I immigrated from Israel to Montreal, it wasn't by choice, I was thrown into an environment where the teachers had 50, 60 students per class. And we know that in those early modeling years, you know, we developed concepts, ideas about our identity, our self-worth, our intelligence, uh, our belief systems are formulated very, very early on in the imprinting years with our parents and our caregivers. But then the modeling years and the experiential years in grade one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And, you know, I remember in, in English, you know, my teacher, um, I can't remember her name, but I remember you know, she given me like a zero on, on an essay that I wrote. She goes, you shouldn't write the way you speak. I'm like, well, how do you write? And, and by the way, when my first book became a New York Times bestseller, um, I chased her down and got, made sure she got a book and said, I wrote this book exactly how I speak. And the world seems to think it's okay. <laughs> but, but part of the challenge that we, we don't understand, the reason I got into the behavioral neuroscience field and, uh, and the research to understand, like, how did I change? What happened to me to change? Uh, and there were some things, there were definitely some catalysts. Um, and one was a story, you know, uh, my brother was really concerned for my, for my well-being. He was a tennis pro and had finished playing the circuit and moved to Toronto, Canada to teach at a tennis club there. And it was a man that he was uh, teaching who was a very successful entrepreneur. And he'd become friends with this man. His name is Alan Brown. And my brother told him of the challenges that I was having as a, as a kid. So um, he asked me if I'd, fly, if I'd uh, take the train to Toronto to have lunch with him. And so I said, sure, I'll come see you for the weekend, bro, and I'll have lunch with you and Mr. Alan Brown. And at lunch, Mr. Alan Brown gave me this document, Jeff. And um, he asked me, before he asked me, he gave me the document, he said, I mean, what are your, some of your goals and dreams? And I said, well, I'd like to buy a car. I was like 19 at the time. I want to buy a car, I want to move out of my parents' house, and I'd like to get a job that pays more than $1.65 an hour. And he said, um, well, what else do you want to do other than that? Like, what are some of your bigger goals and dreams? I, I don't know. I just, that, that's like, that would be awesome to begin with. So he said, do me a favor. He said, let me guide you a little bit. And he gave me this document. And uh, just to put it into, into perspective, I'm 60 now. This was 41 years ago. And this document, okay, first question, it was the 1980 goal setting guide. And the first question was, at what age do you want to retire? I'm 19. My, my father's still working like a dog as a cab driver. Like, I don't know what age I want to retire. So I asked Mr. Brown, what should I put down there? He said, just pick a number. He says, use your imagination. So I wrote down 45. Second question was, how much net worth do you want to have? I looked at Mr. Brown and I said, Mr. Brown, what does net worth mean? He told me what it means. I put $3 million. Third question, what kind of lifestyle do you want to have? Fourth question, what kind of car do you want? What kind of home do you want? Uh, what kind of clothes do you want? Who do you want to help out in life? What kind of contributions do you want to make? I just wrote down stuff, Jeff, that 
I just used my imagination and I might as well have pulled it out of my you know what. And so I gave this document to Mr. Brown and he looked and says, hey, this is actually a pretty wonderful lifestyle that you could have as your vision. He says, now I'm gonna ask you one question and the answer to this one question will determine whether you achieve every one of these things. And as you can imagine, I'm thinking in my head, yeah, right, one question, we'll see if I make $3 million, 45 year retirement, have a Mercedes, have a four bedroom house, travel the world first class, retire my parents, et cetera, et cetera. And he leans in, Jeff, and he goes, son, are you interested in having this lifestyle or are you committed? I said, what? Am I interested or am I committed? I said, Mr. Brown, uh, what's the difference? And he said, if you're interested, you'll do what's easy and convenient. If you're interested, you'll keep using your story about leaving high school at grade 11 and failing English and math in grade seven. If you're interested, you'll keep talking about your father not being able to help you and your mother and father fighting about money all the time. If you're interested, you'll allow your current identity to control your behaviors. He said, but if you're committed, you'll upgrade your identity to match this new destiny that you want. You'll upgrade your knowledge, your skills, your behaviors, and your habits so that they match up with the vision, the goals you have, because every one of these goals is doable. So are you interested or are you committed? And I remember Jeff feeling a little bit on edge and I don't know why I leaned in, I go, Mr. Brown, I'm committed. And he reached out his hand. They said, in that case, I will be your mentor. And I go, awesome. What's a mentor? And he shared with me, a mentor is somebody who can guide you on what to do, what not to do, how to overcome, you know, your past, how to start planning for your future, how to upgrade your knowledge and skills to achieve every one of those goals. And so in that moment, saying yes to myself to go to Toronto, meeting this guy for lunch, saying I'm committed, shaking his hand, my life changed because now I had somebody who has done it, who was doing it to guide me. And so I moved from Montreal to Toronto and I'll keep the story short because there's a whole bunch of stories within the story. But within the next 18 months, he hired me. I went to school, got my real estate license after five weeks of nine to five, passed the test. I, I became a licensed real estate agent, okay? June 20th, 1980. And the reason I know the date so well, Jeff, is because I passed the test on my own without cheating. And I remember that date because it was one of the most proud moments of my life because I had cheated on just about every other test in school. And Mr. Brown started to teach me how to be a professional real estate agent. And over the next 18 months, with his guidance, learning what I needed to learn, I earned $180,000 selling real estate on commission only. I was 19 and 20 years young. And that was the beginning of my life changing and really understanding, wow, I can change my brain to change my life. And I didn't know it then, but the practices that Mr. Brown had me do led to some, you know, building of my own companies, you know, over the last 40 years. And we may get into that or not. Well, I suspect we will. Um, first of all, thanks for thanks for filling in the details on that story. Incredible story. Um, uh, incredible in two regards. One, it's incredible because you had an incredible transformation. Two, it's incredible 
because it's actually in some ways very ordinary. You were a struggling yeah. kid. You met a successful guy. Successful guy told you, hey, you can change. And here are a few ways to do it. And you did it. And how, imagine that your life went differently. Like people, I think you know, on, on the one hand, we, we celebrate and we almost idolize these, these amazing stories of transformation. And, and to some degree, we should because there's great human effort at the center of any one of them. But in another way, I think we do yeah. ourselves a disservice by, by idolizing them because actually what you just described could just easily happen to anybody whether they were 19 or 59. Um, you got it. So maybe talk about, maybe talk about the ordinary aspects of like what distill, what really happened for you uh, in something that's formulaic and transferable for anybody else. Yeah. So a couple things, um, I'll, I'll share something with you that I have on my desk. It's called my exceptional life blueprint. And in this blueprint, okay, right now, this, there's pictures of my current life or the life that I desire and I blend it. There are my goals for 2021 and beyond for health, wealth, relationships, career, business, finance, travel experiences, contribution. I have about 55 pages in here. Now, why do I have this, you know, at 60 years young? Well, do you remember that document that Mr. Brown had me fill out initially with my 1980 goal setting guide? After I got my real estate license, we took that guide, we converted it into a document with my vision, my goals, the knowledge, the skills, the beliefs that I needed, and the strategies and tactics and behaviors required to fulfill that. And every single day, when I came into the office, I had to be in at eight o'clock in the morning, I had to sit down and review the vision and the goals and the strategies and the tactics and the beliefs and the habits required to achieve those goals every single day. And what Mr. Brown had me do was what he said, train my brain to see these things as if they are real now. Train my brain to believe that I can achieve these things. Train my brain through the habits that he had me do every single day to achieve the goals that I wanted to achieve. So he didn't just tell me, have a vision and goals. He didn't just have me write it down. He had me review it every day. And today, what I teach all my students is that's called cognitive priming. And here's just a little bit of a lesson. Whenever we have any pattern that we repeat, we actually are creating a pattern in our brain. The patterns that we reinforce go from conscious effort to subconscious pattern to become automatic. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because in the world that we live in, where we have 6,200 thoughts a day of our own, where we have thousands of messages coming in through social media, television, radio, texting, et cetera, if we don't give our brain the priority of what we want it to focus on, it gets distracted. But if we set up a process by which we tell our brain and ourselves, here's the stuff you want to trade your life for. Here's the stuff for business, for charity, for your spiritual uh, or religious um, uh, goals, for your finance, relationship, whatever it is. If we can create the clarity of the vision and impress it into the power center of our brain, then that part of our brain actually activates certain circuits in our brain to actually help us achieve those goals. But what do most people do? 
they may have goals. And where are those goals? Uh, in a drawer somewhere? How often do they look at those goals? How often did they review their plan for achieving those goals? How often do they understand what are the obstacles that might get in my way or that are in my way of achieving those goals? So most people set goals at the end of the year, beginning of the year, and then looking at the, you know, at the end of the year going, well, I didn't achieve it. Well, <clears throat> how does an airplane get from Las Vegas to New York or Las Vegas to London, right? It sets the destination first, right? And then the autopilot adjusts yeah. millions of times along the journey, okay, in order to get to the final destination. That's how an automatic pilot works <clears throat> in a guidance missile system, uh, in an automatic pilot on a yacht, a boat, or an airplane, and in humans. Yeah, and if I can interject, that because I happen to know this, uh, that a, an airplane or a missile, for that matter, is actually off course. Correct. Like 98% of the time. You got it. And so there's these consistent corrections, right? And there's something in our brain, it's actually called the error detection mechanism, right? That can actually help us calibrate like a GPS system when we know how to get it to work for us. And think about this for just a moment. With 6,200 thoughts a day, and the average person's thoughts are 90% negative just because of how the brain works. If we don't understand how to auto-correct and let go of the automatic negative thoughts or the automatic negative emotions and even the automatic negative behaviors or destructive disempowering behaviors, then by default, we are reinforcing the patterns that we don't want. So early on at 20 years young, he gave me a process to train my brain as he upgraded my skills initially to be a real estate agent and then to be a CEO of my own company. Hey, sorry for the interruption. I just wanted to let you know you can get a free copy of my book, The Millionaire Shortcut, which shows you the fastest way to become a millionaire in the new economy. And there's a special link just for this episode in the description. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. It is incredible. I mean, what you're describing, first and foremost for me, because the impact that you can have on young people. And, and, the, and my, wife, uh, my wife is a, a real advocate. She's like really passionate about teenagers, and she's, she's an advocate for teens. And we talk all the time about what a, what a world-changing difference you can make to just be a positive influence on a young ball of potential called a teenager or just a young adult. Um, it's incredible that somebody did that for you. So, so I guess two things. One, I'd like to know what, uh, what were some of the things that he, he took you through during that transformational kind of phase? And also, I'm curious, how resistant were you to it based on your life experience up to that point? Did you fight the process or were you more uh, amenable? Um. I've gotten myself into so much trouble with the law. I'd embarrassed my parents and my sister at the time. So my brother was traveling around the world playing tennis, so he didn't really face the embarrassment. But I'd embarrassed them so much because, I mean, I know they loved me. I came from a good family, um, maybe ignorant, but a good family. But the things that I was doing was embarrassing them and embarrassing me. And so once I met Mr. Brown, I was open to learning and for me, it was more of this didn't make sense to me. So I'll give you an example. You know, um, 
here I am, you know, 19 years young. He's got me reading this document every freaking day. And I'm like, why the F do I have to read this document every day? And why is he asking me to run my right hand through it? You know, and then my left hand through it. Why is he asking me to close my eyes and visualize and pretend that I'm making $10,000 a month when I'm not, didn't even make, you know, 500 bucks a month. Um, I, I can't pay attention, let alone pay for rent. And, you know, so I was like, what, like, what, what is this doing now? 40 years later, I know that visualization now, because of the research I do on this thing called the human brain, visualization is actually a simulation in the brain. And our brain, when we simulate something, the same electrical activity as if we're doing it, as if it's real fires, the same neurons fire, the same neurochemicals are released. And so I didn't know it then that practice makes permanent patterns. Visualization is what creates a simulation of these patterns. I didn't know that if you do that for, um, and now the, the, the research is if you do that for 66 days to 365 days, those patterns that you are utilizing through conscious effort or creating through conscious effort actually shift over to an implicit unconscious pattern that requires almost zero energy. I didn't know it then. So my ignorance was like, why does he make me do this every day? Mm -hmm. Right. But now, like all of my students, all of my students, if you want to enter into my coaching programs, if you don't commit to 100 days, you can't come in. Why? Because all the research shows that if you are willing to train your brain and upgrade your skills for at least 100 days, we can create the foundation of a pattern that actually will start building you in a constructive, positive, empowering way. But if you think it's 21 days, which is what the old beliefs used to be, uh, it doesn't work in 21 days. And that's why people you know, go on a diet, they lose weight, gain it back. That's why people you know, uh, make more money for a week or two or three and then quit. And so there's, there are neuromechanical things happening in our brain that we know more of today. I didn't know it back then. So I was resistant because of ignorance, but because I worked for him, I had to do it every day with all of the other real estate agents in his office. I'll share a story with you in just a little bit about um, what happened when my own company, um, I started my own real estate company and we got stuck at 1.2 billion a year in sales of what I did. Well, I mean, I'd love to, to move right towards that story because I want to kind of know, you know, again, the journey. So you are become a successful real estate agent, make 180 grand in a year. And then, yeah, I mean, just kind of quickly, maybe take us through evolving into your own entrepreneur, starting your own businesses. And then ultimately, how'd you get into doing the kind of stuff you're doing now? Sure. So from uh, 1980 to 86, I uh, sold real estate. I took a little bit of time off to travel around the world. When I came back, um, I wanted to start my own real estate company. And so um, I was living in Toronto at the time. And the franchising rights for Remax, the real estate company Remax, became available in Indiana. And so I bought the franchising rights for Remax for the state of Indiana and went and started my entrepreneurial venture in an executive office suite with a shared conference room, a shared receptionist, one desk, two chairs, you know, glasses to make me look a little bit older. And I started to build Remax in Indiana. And from 19... So you moved to Indiana. I did. Yeah, I have okay. no idea where, I didn't even know where Indiana was at the time. 
Uh, but I moved to Indiana because of, there was a business opportunity and I wanted to try my hand at, at being an entrepreneur. And, um, and so uh, I moved to Indiana and started to open up Remax offices. And from 1987 to 1990, um, we started to pick up steam, opened up 10 offices, 20 offices, 30 offices, and recruited you know, 100 agents, 200 agents, 500 agents. And we had hit 1.2 billion a year in sales by 1992, five years later. And I knew that the potential there was greater than 1.2 billion with all of our offices, but we were stuck. We were doing a lot of training of our agents, how to list homes, how to close deals, how to overcome objections, you know, how to manage time. We've taught them all of the skills required to be a better uh, real estate agent or broker. And what happened was we just got stuck. And the people that were making 35 to 50,000 just kept making that 35 to 50,000. People who were making 50 to 100,000 kept making 50 to 100,000. People between one to 250, we knew who they were year after year. And so I was wondering what is actually causing them to be stuck? And I discovered that every human being has uh, some set points in their brain. So what's a set point? Well. Um, if somebody has been a certain weight uh, with a certain body fat percentage for, let's say, three to five years, chances are that that set point is set in their brain and all of the automatic processes to keep them at that set point, okay, just works without much thought. Mm -hmm. Well, there's something called a financial set point, an income set point, and it works just like a thermostat. So if the thermostat is set in a room to 70 degrees, and hot air comes out, well, air conditioner goes on. If cold air comes in, the heat goes on. It's an automatic cybernetic mechanism. And Maxwell Maltz many years ago wrote a book called Psycho-Cybernetics on the control and response system that happens in animals and some machines that we created. Well, what we observed, you know, whenever we would have like live events where we would train our agents and they get motivated, they would do really, really well for a week or two and then they would average out their behavior and success over the next two, three, four weeks. And we just saw this pattern over and over and over again. So here's what I did. I said, maybe they're getting stuck because of some of what's happening in their brain and their settings. And it's either gonna be limiting beliefs, it's either gonna be a self-image disconnect or their financial set point. So I took 75 agents out of my, I think it was about 700 at the time. They paid $3,000 to work with me for six months on a separate project, not to upgrade their knowledge and skills as a realtor, as an entrepreneur, but to upgrade their mindset, the neural patterns in their brain. And we used a variety of meditations, visualizations, mindfulness, affirmations, declarations, et cetera, that they had to practice every day for 15 to 30 minutes. Well, here's what happened over a six month period of time. We tracked what they did the year before, same time for these 75 agents, then we tracked what they did for this next six months. And th that group of agents increased sales by $100 million more than the same time the year before. So we said, holy shit, what happened? Their income sky started to skyrocket. and We didn't teach them one new skill on how to sell more real estate or how to list more homes. What we did is we increased their set points in their brain. And then we took it throughout our company over the next several years. We grew to 1,200 agents, 85 offices, 
that we started doing four and a half billion a year in sales. Hmm. Not because we taught them how to sell more. We taught them how to increase their mental and emotional capacity, their self-worth, self-esteem, self-confidence. And the average agent income went from 38,000 average to 120,000 average income per year in Indiana, unheard of. So I knew that the holy grail was the inner game. And so I have been an advocate and this was 1997 and I retired for a couple of years and then I started another company that we took public on NASDAQ in 1998 and uh, then retired again in 2000, wrote my first best-selling book on how to have it all. And I've been deep into the neuroscience and neuropsychology trying to figure out what are the, what I call evidence-based methods to utilize my $100 billion brain better so that I could be better uh, and I can teach others how to, you know, have the lifestyle of their dreams. Well, I know you've helped, you know, millions of people and I'm one of them. I, uh, Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate what you do. I, I'm, it's, I'm so fascinated by this subject. It's, it's, it's frankly, it's the constant, uh, you know, vexation of my existence is how to, you know, we, we talk about equality of opportunity versus equality of outcome, right? Like, I, I, I long for equality of outcome, but not in a forced way, but an inspired way. Like, how do we, how do we, and, and, and you know, I mean, obviously from the work you do, people have varying degrees of resistance sure. to aligning with their potential, right? And it's not, you know, I own an entrepreneurial education company, right? I'm teaching tens of thousands of people how to, who've had, many of whom have had jobs their whole lives, how to, how to veer out of the trading time for money mindset into the, I'm going to take all the responsibility and it's all going to be on me. And if I win, the upside is greater. But if I don't, if I, if I, if I just do it the way I used to do it, I won't. And then I'll just be frustrated and disappointed. Right. And so I'm always trying to get people to buy into what they're capable of, not just what they've done in the past. And I find, I'll, I'll say that I, I have varying degrees of success. So sure. when I get, when I meet a guy like you, I'm like, oh my gosh, what's the, what's the magic bullet? Like, how do you, um, you know, in community, I've been around communities of tens of thousands of people where like I come from the affiliate marketing world and as an as affiliate marketer, I mean, even in real estate, you could say, oh, well, so-and-so they're, you know, they're zoned to a better school district. So their kids go to, go to school with other kids whose parents have make more money and have nicer homes. So it's naturally easier for them to network into nicer neighborhoods and list nicer houses, like not everything's equal, but as internet-based affiliate marketers, we are all playing the exact same game. And yet I'll be in communities where you have some people that make millions of dollars a year and you have other people that literally can't make one single sale. They can't get a single funnel to convert to save their life. And I know it's all the inner game. So help me, help me break through for the guy that's not succeeding. What is the difference? What, why is it such a fight? So um, I have something on my desk right here that I think you'll appreciate. And I I prepared in advance because I thought we might have this opportunity. Um, So let's let's ask ourselves a question. Okay, we've got got a right frame on this. Um, And I like to um, to use Rubik's cubes as examples. Right. I got um, I'm a Rubik's cube like junkie. Right. Wow. Okay. Uh, So I got I got I got Rubik's cubes, big ones, small ones, complicated ones. And, And my question is this. Uh, is it a fact 
that if I, if you, if everybody watching or listening to us right now, a fact, we commit to learning the algorithm to solve the two by two or the four by four or the monster, if we commit to learning how to do it, the how to exists right now. Yes, that is a fact. That's a fact. So somebody, some book, some coach, some expert, some school, some program can show me the algorithm to solve the two by two. Well, what if we said the two by two is for somebody who wants to make, let's say 25 grand a year, three by three is hundred grand a year, four by four is 500 grand a year, million plus a year. You want a billion dollar business? Right. Okay. The complications, sophistication, a little bit different. So here is the first thing to understand. If I'm committed to building my business, no matter what size I want, how to already exists. However, if I don't know how to, then I have self-doubt, I have uncertainty, and that might cause some stress, right? Because I don't know how to. So here's what we know about the human brain. When I, as a human being, have self-doubt, uncertainty, stress, anxiety, that is uh, an effect that works like this. When the demand exceeds my current capacity, when the demand exceeds my current capacity, my motivational circuit in my brain deactivates. The behavioral circuit in my brain deactivates and I default, default to my highest level of training skill and comfort zone. So lesson number one, in addition to upgrading my skill set to match the task at hand, okay, there are three other things that chances are will get in your way. So number one is this, what if I have a fear of failing? What if I have a fear of being rejected, ashamed, ridiculed, or judged? What if I have a fear of doing my best, okay, and disappointing myself or my family or my children, whatever the case might be. So let's go to under, what do we know about the fear circuit? So even if I am gaining the knowledge and the skill, but I don't know how to regulate this circuit called fear, then guess what I'm going to do? Chances are, just based on human neuromechanics, chances are I am going to go back to homeostasis or my comfort zone. It's just a biological trigger that happens in billionths of a second. So fear can get in my way, even if I have or I'm gaining the knowledge and skill. What if I have this vision and goals and my big why and I've got the knowledge and skills, but somehow from the time I was born or in my childhood or even adulthood, I started to have this self-concept, this self-image that I really don't deserve that. A hidden self-image or I have a hidden or even a known you know, self-confidence or self-esteem issue. There's a disconnect between the vision and goals that I consciously want, but a self-image disconnect at the subconscious level. I may take inspired action one day, I may achieve some successes, and then I will sabotage and procrastinate because my brain is calibrating coherence so it feels comfortable and I feel comfortable. I don't have stress or anxiety. So now I have knowledge and skills could be in my way, fears could be in my way, self-image, self-worth, self-esteem could be in my way, 
What about limiting beliefs or beliefs that limit me? What if I believe that I'm too young or I live in the wrong part of town or I'm too old or I don't have enough of this or too much of that? What if I have limiting beliefs? What do we know about the neuromechanics of beliefs? We know that beliefs drive behaviors. So if I have a limiting belief, then guess what I may do? I may have the knowledge and skills. I may know how to manage my emotions, but if I have a limiting belief, then I'm gonna be held back. So when we're talking about the human brain, it's a lot more complex than two by two. And we have to understand that maybe we just need to learn how to operate our brain better. And with that said, the ultimate question is this, was any human since the beginning of time ever born with any beliefs, any self-image, any habits, or any fears? Mm. Zero, not one human right. being. So the question is, what is the habit in the brain? Do we know where it is? Do right. we know what turns it on and turns it off? Do we know how to stop a bad one and start a new one? Um, what is self-image? Like, where did I get this concept of myself that I'm not good enough? Really? Um, maybe you just didn't learn that God was what created you uh, in his or her image, however you want to look at it. That means God is within you. And that means that the spiritual essence of who and what you are is infinite, omnipotent, omnipresent right now. Oh, maybe if I could shift my awareness of, you know, who I really am versus you know, what my childhood said that I was, or my parents or teachers or whatever religious group I was a part of, or my brothers or sisters. What, what if, what if like Santa Claus, some of these ideas are made up? What if like the tooth fairy, it's a belief that may have been fun for a while, but just no longer serving you. So when we want to get beneath the surface and we want to stop playing Okay, as if we're in kindergarten and start using our hundred billion dollar brain better. Okay, now we can become more aware of our thoughts, emotions, feelings, sensations, and behaviors. Now we can understand that the effects, the results we're getting, health, wealth, relationships, career, business, are nothing more. Yes, of the behaviors we take or we don't take, but those are driven by our beliefs, our self-image, our habits, and our ability to regulate our emotions. Oh my, now we're getting a little bit more sophisticated in this game of life. And so I like to play the game at the place where effect is uh, something that we're observed, but cause is what we want to be masters of. So I'm, uh, I'm taking a few notes, John. You, you kind of identified four things that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, they were beliefs. Limiting beliefs right fears there's 50 different types of fears that automatically can hold us back there's self-image self-worth self-esteem okay right uh, and a lack of knowledge and skills for the task required these uh, all these all activate something called the parasympathetic or the sympathetic nervous system which you're very familiar with jeff which is our stress response right. Right. And so when the demand exceeds our capacity, when the demand exceeds our capacity, the sympathetic nervous system is activated. For the average person whose sympathetic nervous is activated, they're fighting, fleeing, or what? Freezing, right? Right. 
That's the average person. But for a trained person, they're in a state of awareness. So they're not in a reactive state. They're in a state of awareness where they can respond. Firefighters respond. Navy SEALs respond. Police officers respond. Astronauts respond because they've been trained to. Mm-hmm. So when we get into the world of you know high performance, whether you're a high performance CEO, entrepreneur, athlete, musician, whatever the case might be, it's not practice that makes perfect, right? It's the perfect practice that makes perfect patterns. And the perfect patterns that are reinforced become automatic. The automatic patterns, you don't have to think about it. You're just, you're just that's why you take somebody like you or me and take away everything you have Every, everything you have of an asset, okay? Everything, to take, take it away. Within short order, you'll, it won't take you as long to have it back, right. me either. Stick you, stick me in any city with or without a computer, with or without knowing the language of that city, or maybe just some clothes on our back. And within days, we will know the landscape and we will know how to make money and survive and thrive. Take somebody who's never earned it, okay? lottery winner, give the lottery winner $100 million. Three to five years, $100 million is gone for almost 90% of them. Why? Because they don't understand the mindset pattern, the emotional regulation pattern, the behavioral pattern that it took to get there. So now they are lost, right? We're talking about you know, the neuroscience of success is really where I've been playing for many, many years is how do we make this predictable versus possible? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think the, the lottery statistics are so interesting. I've, I've studied them myself. And, and it's not the thing that really jumped out at me about this whole concept of the lottery winners. It's not so much that they, they, don't, they don't hang on to all the money. They're actually five times more likely to end up with a negative net worth. They're five times more likely to end up bankrupt. Yeah. So, because it's like, oh, I got a hundred million dollars and yeah, I'm going to blow 50 of it. And then I'm going to go, oh crap, I'm blowing my money. I should stop and maybe park it in a savings account. No, 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 no. They go all the way to, through yeah. the floor yeah. into negative net worth. They, they're, you're five times more likely to de- declare bankruptcy yeah. after you win the lottery than an average person. It's, um, it's pretty striking. Um, so, so there's, there's a reason for that too, though. There's a reason yeah, tell us. And, and in the lottery winner world, uh, 95% of those who have lost all their money said that winning the money was the worst experience of their life. Yeah. Right. But, but if we understand, like, why, why does that surprise us? What's the responsibility of this brain of ours? Um, number one is, um, safety and security. Um, number two is to, um, Uh, avoid pain or discomfort, number three, to conserve energy, number four, to gain pleasure. But right along with that is this, it's number one responsibility is to make sure that my outside world of results matches my internal map of reality and expectations. Mm -hmm. So if we have a positive world out there, but a negative expectation here, we have positive, wonderful things out here, but a negative pattern of what we believe we deserve, it causes too much chaos and it causes too much disruption and it causes people to overdrink, use drugs uh, and do things to calibrate 
the problem they're having with regulating this emotion that their brain is activating these neurochemicals, but because they haven't learned how to upgrade the success to match the identity or to upgrade the identity to match the success, there's an internal battle between the conscious results and the unconscious patterns and the unconscious patterns will win 99.9% of the time. Yeah, you know, I have a friend who's a retired Navy SEAL and he does a lot of work on trauma and he basically defines trauma as the brain's recognition of its own loss of control or lack of control. That when we do not have the ability to control our external environment to make it match our internal expectations, we experience trauma. And, it, and, and in that context, to the person who has been, you know, sort of inculcated a certain way, and then all of a sudden they win the lottery, that's actually a, a deeply traumatic experience for them. There it is. Because suddenly their external world doesn't resemble their internal world, and they're literally from post-traumatic stress yeah. unconsciously scrambling to get the world back to the world that they can make sense of when so, they didn't have any money. It's a traumatic experience. So traumatic yeah. experiences can be, you know, something super negative that's happened and something super positive that's happened that you have no idea how to control. Totally agree yeah. with that. Yeah. And, and we, we love predictability, right? What is our brain doing consistently? It's predicting, mm -hmm. okay, what might happen in the future based on this idea or this vision or goal that we have or circumstances, predicting into the future, we're feeling the negative potential consequences in the present moment, and that's what we're actually moving away from. That's what yeah. we're uh, up on my, on my desk. Uh, uh, you see my, my Frankenstein's monster, yeah. Yeah. And my yeah. Einstein brain? Right. Well, we have these two parts of our brain, right prefrontal cortex is what I call the Frankenstein's monster. Left prefrontal cortex is the Einstein brain, the imagination. I want this. I can have that. This could be amazing. We can make a difference, be such loving, caring, kind, giving people in the world. But then Frankenstein's monster is going, uh, what if you fail? What if you're rejected? Uh, what if you succeed and fail? Uh, what if you're disappointed? What if you lose your money? What, what, what if negative? That is part of what our brain actually does for survival and safety. Now, here's the challenge. What do you think happens to somebody who gets into a car that doesn't know how to use the brakes and the gas properly? It's bad. We've seen it on television, right? right. Go, stop, jerk, this, that, crash. Well, uh, there's nothing wrong with how our brain works because functionally, every brain works the same. Is it possible we're just not very good drivers or operators? So you're saying Einstein brain is the, or I guess it'd be on this side, is the gas. Yeah. Frankenstein brain is the brake. And we just need to learn to, to use them correctly right. to get and where we're is, going. And the Frankenstein's brain is hyperactive for safety and security. Frankenstein brain is hyperactive for avoidance of pain or discomfort. Frankenstein brain and other parts of the brain is active to conserve energy, not expend energy, right? That's just how our species has survived and advanced for so many years for the most part. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, it, I mean, it's, it's incredibly interesting. Tell me a little bit about, I know we're, we're about out of time. I wanna make sure you have a moment to really share about Neurogym. Sure. The, the business that you're running now. And I know also you have an event coming up, which by the time this airs will be in the past, but I think people can still access it because um, it's an ongoing thing. So, and that's Brainathon. So maybe talk a little bit about Neurogym and Brainathon before we have to wrap. 
Yeah, sure. So if anybody just types in brainathon.com, uh, every year I bring in a, a group of brain experts, success experts that really understand how to win the inner game, how to overcome the mental and emotional obstacles that hold us back. You know, what's the right way to set goals so you achieve them instead of sabotage and procrastinate. And so if somebody goes to brainathon.com, they could they can sign up and uh, it's free. And this year's experts, we're going to have um, uh, Dr. Uh, Lisa Feldman Barrett. We have uh, John D. Martini, Lisa Nichols, Jack Canfield, Marissa Peer, and myself, and another gal by the name of Nyrka. And they can sign up and um, and watch the Brainathon. And uh, it's usually about a six seven hour training, and, and that's something that we do every single year. And then uh, I started my company, MyNeuroGym.com, because I recognized that just like we exercise, and you and I talked about this before, right? Just like you know, we exercise to strengthen our muscles and our internal organs and systems, ligaments, et cetera. Nobody was teaching people how to strengthen their mind and their neuromuscles. What if I shared with you that focus is a neuromuscle? Awareness is a neuromuscle. Your habits are neuromuscles that either empower you or disempower you, are constructive or destructive, are positive or negative. We all have them. Well, what if you could strengthen your muscles so that you achieve success faster? What if we could do for the brain what we do for the body and for the systems in the body? So I started myneurogym.com. I started to create trainings for people to strengthen their neural muscles. I wrote um, my newest best-selling book called Inner Size, which is right up there. Exercise to strengthen your body and muscles, inner size to strengthen your neural muscles. And I've got over 100,000 students that are training their brains daily based on my inner sizes that I created for way the game of money, way the game of business, way the game of fear, way the game of procrastination, way the game of weight loss, et cetera, using the latest in neuroscientific evidence-based methodologies. And so I, instead of telling them, here's what you should do, we created the programs for them to just get them, use them, change your brain, change your life. Man. Like I said, you must get up very early in the morning to do all that. Not uh, not bad for a, a, a scrappy little street, street, kid, street right? kid. Yeah, <laughs> like, like you, I have a really good team. I, I get to do what I do um, every single day, and um, you know, and um, and share and, um, and and give the gifts that I've been blessed to have. Man, you know, it's funny you mentioned good team. We we should put a pin in that and come back to it one of these days. And I mean, we could do a whole other episode on the the neurochemistry of leadership and how to create alignment and resonance in, in the other people that it requires to do big things in this world. That's a whole other subject, man. Sure. Um, so grateful you came on the show, John. I wish, I wish Thanks, we had man. more time. We'll just have to fight for it and maybe even do this again, but we'll do it again. This is tremendous. And, and for, I will just say, you know, again, this isn't a paid sponsorship. This is just me saying what I think. John's stuff is the bomb. I have gone through it myself. I'm a student of John's. Um, it's really, really, uh, incredible and just true what he's saying that we, we need, we, we should be training our brains more than we even train. I mean, never mind, just like, oh, an hour a day at the gym or whatever. I mean, we need to have a regimen for our minds and our brains. Um, you know, what 60% of all of our energy gets consumed by this little four pounds mush ball in our head. Uh, I mean, it's the most active 30%. Yeah. Is, is that what it is? I forget. That. I mean, it's something that's disproportionately yeah. huge based on its size. Yeah. Um, 
you know, we need to be working this thing out. And the vast majority just kind of, like you say, they just sort of take what comes and, and, you know, drift through life and wonder why they're not in command of this incredible tool. So um, well, the formula, the formula I know you're going to agree with is exercise plus inner size daily. Amen. Now, every single day, every single day, seven days a week. So yep. uh, you, you mentioned brainathon.com that actually redirects to, to your Neurogem page uh, site. Is there any, anything else, uh, any other, you mentioned your book inner size. I assume that's available on Amazon. Sure. Anywhere else? Where else, uh, if anywhere, would you send people that want to go deeper into your world? Thanks, Jeff. I've got um, four books, two New York Times bestsellers. They, I've got my book, Having It All, my book, Inner Size, my book, The Answer, uh, my book, The Vision Board uh, book. Uh, and then I'm on Instagram. I'm on you know, Facebook. I do a lot of free training. I'm on YouTube. So you know, what I recommend is for somebody to you know, start with one thing enter a little bit deeper into, you know, my world of neuroscience and neuropsychology so that you can have more control, you know, over your hundred billion dollar brain, and then you'll discover more stuff. So let's make the, the first step easy. Brainathon is a phenomenal place to start because um, you learn from me and some other amazing individuals who are world renowned teachers and um, know their stuff inside and out. Um, and check out maybe my book, Inner Size, which is the one right up there. <laughs> Yeah, I've actually had uh, some of the speakers from from Brainathon on the show before. Awesome, so you know them. Yeah, looking forward to having more. Um, and I'll be there. I'll be I'll be participating in Brainathon as well. It's ongoing, so whenever somebody's seeing or hearing this, you can go sign up at Brainathon.com. John, thank you so much, my friend, for being on thank the show. You, it's been wonderful. What a joy! Appreciate you and uh, have fun with the family. Hey, it's Jeff here. If you liked this episode of Unlock Your Potential. It would mean so much if you would like and share the episode on whatever platform you're listening or viewing on. And if you really like what we're doing here and you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving a review. There is so much work that goes into these episodes and you leaving a positive review lets us know that that work is reaching people and especially it helps us reach other people. Your review could be the reason that someone else decides to tune in, check out this podcast, and unlock their potential and ultimately level up the quality of their life. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your support and for listening, especially if you like or share or leave a review. Thank you for helping us spread the word and thank you for unlocking your potential to go make the world and your world a better place.